McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to your forecast episode 178. Well, we look pretty toothless in front of goal, but can the Blues get scoring again? And what's the point of this season? Join the podcast today is Andy Mitchell. How are you, Andy? Not too bad, thank you, Vance. Looking forward to an existential crisis of a podcast where we ask what the point is anymore. No, um, that sounds deep and philosophical, which plays to none of our strengths. Lovely to be here. Yeah, how are you keeping, my friend? I'm good. I feel a little bit more refreshed, you know, back from being out in Stockholm. That was cool. Um, hanging out downtown and just, you know, going to some cool parties. It's the benefit of my job, I suppose, getting invited to this stuff. And as you probably know from traveling to Scandinavia, it is very expensive and I didn't have to pay for anything going out because it was all paid for me. What podcast episode number was it I missed because I was in Scandinavia? I do lose track. I'm so well-traveled, according to you lads, when uh, when I can't make one of these. You definitely are. You are definitely the you know the biggest traveller out of everyone I know. To be honest, thing is, this, uh, it started out with a completely genuine being abroad, and then you lads have just latched onto it. I'm I'm keen. I wish I travelled as much as you give me credit for. Hey, but um, I'm the plan is this year when I'm back out in Australia to actually do a pod while I'm there, just to uh, forget the time zones, and then I can I can show a bit of commitment to the podcast for once. Well, I like that. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing your new book in Lonely Planet. But Freddie Webb, how are you, mate? Oh, I'm not so bad. It's glad to have you, you guys back on. Um, the pod yesterday went all right. Went all right. And Yesterday, yeah, Fred? Yeah, no, well, last week. Sorry, the times. <laughs> we, we he's are recording, recording secret episodes you don't know about, and he's the podcast. He records them on his phone and just plays them to himself to fall asleep to. It's quite cute. I've got a the webcast. I used to do that when I was like, uh, when I was like, I don't know, eight years old. I used to do that and record football commentary and pretend I was a commentator and then play it back. I feel like I've overshared there, lads, if I'm honest. No, I just... <laughs> You're a kid, it's all right. No, I don't I don't like my own voice that much, so I don't do that. But yeah, uh, not not much going on with me, to be honest. Just I don't know where the season's going, mate, to be honest with you. Like Andy said, I have no idea what's happening with it. I don't know whether to be invested or bored. I can't tell. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much the same, but in more interesting news than Pompey's, we're going to come on to that as well. I'm fuming, to be honest, boys. I was studying dog shit every day for three days. I mean, that's got to be one of the most unluckiest things to happen, right? And I am looking where I'm going. Is that like one of those good luck things? Like if a bird craps on you, on your shoulder, isn't meant to be good luck if it's on one shoulder, bad luck if it's on the other? Is it the same with, uh, with dog, well, dog crap? Although, uh, not, be fair, mate, if dog crap lands on your shoulder, then something has gone badly wrong somewhere. Yeah, I'm not really that sure, but um, I did see that I basically ducked into a doorway and sat down to try and wipe off some of the shit on my shoe. Bit of an overshare here, but a police officer came around the corner and wondered what I was doing with all these bags everywhere that I was carrying, all these samples for work and stuff. And uh, he thought I was doing something quite shady with all these carrier bags and in the corner of the floor. And yeah, it turns out I'm not really breaking any laws apart from shouting and wiping shit off my shoes. But should we get onto the podcast now? I've shared that lovely story. I was going to ask you, did you manage to flog any chairs when you're in Sweden? Or did you, you know? Well, you see, Freddie, for my job, people are trying to flog chairs to me um, because I design stuff, you know, with lots of different people's stuff and put it together. So it's actually just people just trying to be like, yeah, check this out, check that out. Um, I wasn't really there to to sell anything as such. I was just there to find new stuff to flog. So Mm. there we go. Um, I still don't understand what you do, mate. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who knows to know anyway first of all we're going to review the really fun game against lincoln following from that we'll speak about some stuff in the news that freddie assures me he has prepared for the show 
And then we put a question out to you guys and we said, what we've been saying at the start of this podcast, what's the point of the season? What would be a successful season from now? How can we benchmark this team? And finally, we're going to preview the game on Saturday at home to Cheltenham. Right, let's get into it, boys. Let's talk about Lincoln. That was a fun game, wasn't it? It's one of those games that people are going to talk about in the centuries that go on. You know, years later, they're going to be going, oh, do you remember that 0-0 draw to Lincoln? But it wasn't without any chances, was it? Was it? My first takeaway from this was that we were pretty poor at finishing in this game. And although we come away with a point, really, when you look at the stats and you see, look, three big chances missed, obviously, I suppose I should say a big chance is a situation where a player should reasonably be expected to score in a one-on-one situation from very close range where the ball has a clear path to goal. Now, three of those, and we didn't manage to get one. Is this as unlucky, Andy, or is this just something that, you know, we've been poor on all season and we can't expect it to turn around? I think, I don't know if we can expect it to turn around after how many games into the season are we now? I think if we're expecting a a miracle turnaround after 30 games, I'd be surprised in terms of that. But I'm loathe to really over-critique someone like Colby Bishop because his finishing percentage has been so high over the course of the season. So that massive chance towards the end, I mean, that. It just happens, doesn't it? If I'm being honest, I'm not going to pile in on him. A couple of the other chances, I think their keeper makes one very good save. And there's yeah, on another day, how often have we said that this season? On another day. But I mean, Lincoln are a good side at home in this division. I'm going to get the positives out of the way first before we start questioning the, you know, what's the point anymore? Um, but Lincoln are a good side at home this season. We did create the chances to, to win the game against a team who haven't been being at home this season and we kept a clean sheet. So there's the positivity. Not going to go crazy piling in. Having said that, it's just so boring. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's both sides of the argument. I'm going to, yeah, be sort of devil's advocate with myself there. It was really boring, wasn't it? Like really boring. Um, I mean, there were a couple of good chances. Well, let's start from the, let's start from the top here, Fred, and I'll come to you. There was a chance the ball was worked quite well down the right. I think Dale had it. I think it came back to Towler. I'm not sure. Is it Towler who who put the, the ball into the box of Tunnicliffe? I think it was Towler. I can't work it out. He's far up the pitch if it is. If not, who cares? Maybe it was Joe Morrell. But ball comes into the box, comes out, and Tunnicliffe gets his David Norris moment. I mean, it's closer. It's a lot closer to goal than David Norris. So I think when he hits it, he's trying to make sure he doesn't sky it over the bar. So he hits it. It just goes it goes wide. One thing I want to talk about in this game is Ryan Tunnicliffe because it's been something we've been talking about in the weeks past. I've been talking to to Jack, who's on the show, about Tunnicliffe. I know he's an adamant supporter of Ryan Tunnicliffe. Freddie, he's looking a lot a lot improved, isn't he? In the in the you know the past few weeks and stuff, and becoming a bit more of an important player for us. Yeah, he's definitely getting there, isn't he? I wouldn't go as far as to say he's magical or anything, but in this game, it was a proper solid game at both sides of the pitch. He was defensively very strong. Obviously, everybody's going to talk about that slide tackle that we've seen over and over again, but his positional sense in this game was very good. And the biggest thing is he offered a box-to-box option to the attackers going forward, always on the edge of the penalty area, where a winger could either either pass to him so he can have a shot or play play it to a switch on the other side. He fits well into this 4-4-3, I think. And I think because of that, he's getting into games an awful lot more rather than him just being in a double pivot where he's a bit more restricted in what he can do. There was, there, there was that drilled shot. Like I mentioned, it was a reasonable effort considering he was on the volley. There was that lofted ball he played out to the wing for Rico Hackett, who then cut inside on his left and then put wide. He had a proper impact on the game. I think he was one of Pompey's better players, I thought. Overall, it was pretty even between both sides. Both sides had chances to take the game, I thought. Yeah. So, I mean, first in tackles with three or four, depending who you look at, and it's a save score, as, as well as um, who scored 79% passing, which is accuracy, is first in midfield, or he just ticks the passing over. That's quite normal for him a little bit there. Second in possession, only, only after Joe Morrell. You can see the two of them really ran the game, and that's across both teams as well. Andy, do you think Ryan Turnercliffe, before we move on, is a player that we should retain this summer. 
I do. Yeah, I find myself reluctantly in agreement with Jack on this one. I think that Tunnicliffe got, he was sort of guilty by association with Sean Williams at times last season and kind of got dragged down by association. And I expected him to leave the club, if I'm honest, in the last transfer window. was pretty apathetic that he stayed. It wasn't fast either way. But you'd have to say that with the injuries and suspensions we've had in central midfield throughout the season, he's probably done a better job than I would have given him credit for doing in advance. I don't think he is ever going to be our ideal starting centre midfielder if everyone is fit and no one is suspended. But we know intimately well how often that is the situation where everyone is fit and no one is suspended. So I think as a, a you know second choice centre midfielder, you know what you're going to get. I feel like his sort of two and three out of 10 games have become less common. I think he's a lot more consistent than he was. He's not a glitz and glamour player. He's unlikely to steal the show and run the game like you'd say that you know occasionally Marlon Pack does or Joe Morrell does uh, or or Lowry does. But at the same time, I think the two out of ten, three out of ten games that he did have last season, touch wood, seem to be a thing of the past when I've watched him this season. So, yeah, fairly consistent performer. I'd happily keep him around, but I don't think he's going to be really starting when everyone's fit. He showed the mentality that he's a squad player, isn't he? Because he spent that long amount of time out and then suddenly for thrown in and his performances have improved gradually throughout that time. The the time where he was on the bench not getting played didn't seem to affect him very much. And that's what you that's what a manager wants from a squad player, isn't it? Sometimes someone who can come in either in a pinch and can fill a role and Tunnicliffe's done that and he's improving pretty much every game and at the moment and arguably you'd say he's earned a contract at this point, hasn't he? I think one of the things I would say, which have been me and Jack were having a chat, and I think it's based on my concern is that he needs to, if you're gonna play a three, he sort of needs two mobile midfielders next to him. He's not the most mobile player. And I do sometimes worry a little bit in a three with him and Pack that we become a little bit sluggish in midfield. So I think when you look at him playing alongside Morel in this game, actually in a double pivot, really, it's, it's sort of a four-two-three-one. He did okay there and looked good. I think if he fitted in and Pac was out and you see him play with Tom Lowry and Joe Morrell, who are both quite mobile, I think you'd see him, you know, come to his best there. Um, right, let's just move on then. Lincoln had a chance from a corner. They had a shot out to the box and it just sort of comes out. It loops over over Macy, which is quite a uh, quite a task there. It hits the, uh, hits the bar and cannons out. A little bit of a warning shot, I suppose, as well. Lincoln actually made 33% of their shots from out of the box compared to Pompey only having 7% out of the box, which does actually show how well we defended in this. And let's be honest, boys, I think we're all in agreement and tell me if I'm not that, you know, Raggett's not been playing the best, is he, at the back recently? This was, you know, credit where credit's due, a more solid game for him, wasn't it? Um, not sure I want to keep him in, but it does show how him and Towler actually played quite well after Riley Towler came out and gave him some praise to Andrew Moon. Yeah, it's this performance was definitely better than the last couple from Sean Ragger. Um, again, a fairly fairly solid performance, just from his defensive attributes, dealing with crosses in the air, getting in the way of the defender. Him and Towler seem to know whereabouts they are on the pitch for passing links, which is decent. Towler had a reasonable game, a couple of poor long passes at the beginning, which led to chances. It led to that one where Jack Diamond was basically put for on goal, but was out wide. They're getting there, but we've always, with Shaw Raggett, we always come to that argument where if Pompey really wants to get promoted to the championship and stay there, is Raggett the centre-half that you start in a back four? I'd argue no, even, even though he was player of the season last season. But even when it, under his best performances, he was in the middle of a three where it seems to fit much better, in my opinion. There's... In my opinion, there's too much inconsistency there. And Andrew Moon brought this up with a tweet where he said that some of the criticism of Sean Raggett was harsh. I don't think it's harsh at all. It's just pointing out that his mistakes leading to goals when we watch him are quite high. He's not as comfortable on the ball as a Riley Towler or any other centre-halves. And looking ahead, is he, again, he came in after we had brilliant centre-halves like Christian Burgess and Jack Watmore 
Matt Clark, not of that ball playing type. And then even though some of his individual performances have been good, the team's performances have dropped as well. Not entirely down to him, obviously, but is a factor. And if Pobby do get to the championship, will you need to end up replacing him anyway? I'd probably argue yes. So where do you think he fits with a couple of months left on those contracts? There's a lot to think about there, isn't there? There's a stunned silence has just made its way over the podcast there from Fred's... I was actually just trying to press the unmute button on my microphone, failing miserably. Oh, just <laughs> but, me that fell into a stunned silence then. Yeah, no. Um, I, I, I think we could do a new centre-back. But I just thought it was worth credit where credit's due there, that it's a better game for him. But at the same time, when you look at the stats, Lincoln didn't play one through ball in a game. I mean, neither did we. But I think that's got to be a level where when that ball goes in behind, that's really when Raggett struggles. So... Maybe the way that Lincoln played, shooting from outside, um, and that that kind of thing, really played into his his strengths and didn't really exploit his weaknesses, which is making him turn and having players running behind I him. Think, I think there was only one opportunity where it was almost like a one on one, where Regan Paul won the header in near the halfway line from Connor Ogilvie, and then the ball went to Jack Diamond on the wing, and he was also hitting him and Ragged there. And Diamond was trying to shimmy onto his left foot. Ragged didn't do a bad job, but I think that's probably the only example where. Raggett was in a situation where you, whereas a fan, I looked at it and went, oof, slightly more uncomfortable than usual. Jack Diamond's a good player, isn't he? Really good player. I rate him a hell of a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to Sunderland and does good things there. I think total man of the match, if I was a neutral, I probably would have given it to Diamond, I think. And I mean, if Sunderland don't want him, if Pompey went after him, Hell yeah, <laughs> definitely the sort of but definitely sort of player we should be after if that option came up. Yeah, he's got that ability to be a little bit game changing, isn't he? Okay, let's move on again. Rafferty looks really good at right back, didn't he? You can see why I think right back now has to be seen as potentially. I put it out there one of our strongest positions with him and Swanson both playing out for that right back position. I like his movement coming forward. He reads the game really well, which allows him to step in. And, and one time he stepped in, <clears throat> took the ball around a defender. The ball sort of bounces out. He managed to pick it up at full pace as well. So he carries on that run rather than sitting back defensively. And that allows him to put a really lovely ball into the box that comes across exactly where you want it as an attacker. Ronan Curtis gets on the end of it. I think the defender blocks it in the end rather than the keeper. I can't, I can't quite tell from the replay, but yeah. Again, bit unlucky for Ronan Curtis there. Do you think he should have scored, Andy? Yeah, it was a keeper that made the save, I think. Um, okay, so what, keeper makes the save. Post. But... Sorry, far post. Yeah, good save. But I think he does well to get into the position and uses his strength to outmuscle the defender. I don't think Curtis does anything wrong there, if I'm honest. I think it's a decent save by the keeper. I don't think we have to slam anyone for... Not that that's what you were doing, but I don't think we need to slam anyone for missing a chance. It, it wasn't right think... in the middle of the box either. It was quite out wide. So yeah, it exactly. It wasn't a brilliant angle on it, was it? No, and the, the ball was running away from him. I think Curtis did everything fine. Keeper made a good save. So going back onto Rafferty then, boys, um, it's, it's sure how he really affects the game, isn't it, Andy, really? And again, one of our brightest players in this in this one. Yeah, shows how much we've missed him, doesn't it, over the course of the season. I mean, Swanson's done a fine job, but I think Rafferty being on the pitch just gives you more options and... He's looked seriously good since he came coming back from injury. And it's like, it's one of those things that it's not quite, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. It's You don't realise what you were missing till it comes back. It's the lesser, lesser known um, sequel song to whoever sang Parking Lot. Who sang that originally? Getting distracted. I don't know. Let us know in the comments. Um, I'll have a Google. But yeah, I think, the, I mean, the season, it's all if and buts. The season could be so different if Lowry and Rafferty had stayed fit, I think. I think it genuinely would have made a difference in terms of us being at least sort of in the shout for the last playoff spot or two. But um, yeah, it's nice to see him back fit. Hopefully he gets a decent run of games together and we can kick on with him in the team. So we had a goal ruled out for offside after a lovely little flick on that came through. Counting Crows. That's oh. who sang. That's who... Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about that all night, Andy. Thank you so big, much for letting me know. Big yellow taxi. And then it was cover. I think it was Joni Mitchell uh, did the cover of it. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Anyway, back to back to less relevant topics. Yeah, the offside goal. Yeah, what do you think of that, Andy? Go on, you're just thinking to talk. You can talk about it. 
I thought it was onside, so about it. <laughs> uh, thoroughly enjoyed Curtis giving the Lino an absolute volley straight afterwards. It's always good to see. No, it's not. Shouldn't abuse Linos, but you do love to see it. What else do you want me to add, bud? It's a good finish. Keeper didn't know it was offside. Very good finish. I think it was onside. Close run thing. We've seen some pretty, pretty poor decisions go for us and against us in the last few weeks. So, cliche alert. Evens out. Evens out, lads. Fred, do you think it was onside? Uh, it was fairly level, wasn't it? I'm not, I wasn't particularly sure, to be honest. So in that situation, I'd probably trust the linesman. But it was actually just a good bit of play beforehand with the, with the Curtis flick on. He managed to get himself a lot into the game, which uh, off the bench, which I liked. Caused a lot of problems. Linked up well with Piggott and Bishop as well. Seemed to be in the right place a lot of the time. And yeah, good to see him get back from his injury, which stalled him from the first couple of decent games before he rolled his ankle. Fred, if after watching Portsmouth in the lower leagues for the last 13 years, your mantra is still, if in doubt, trust the League One or League Two official, I just genuinely feel like you might be beyond help, unfortunately, if that's how trusting you are. I think you might just be slightly, I don't know, naive, and I say that with all the love in the world. I don't trust <laughs> no, any officials yeah. Assuming level. the League One official actually did his job properly for once. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's beyond naive. I mean, you were adorable. I mean, he could have done, I suppose. Um, broken clocks right twice a day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and if that, it, it, well, obviously we don't have VAR in this league, thank God. But if it, it, it's, it was probably a tight call, but you can't do a lot about that. I've also had other chances in the game, but missed them. So, yeah, I'm let's not going to hinge the results on that. Let's talk about that then. So the ball comes through Colby Bishop, and I, I was dead certain. I jumped up and shouted, yes. Um, which, you know, it's not great, is it? Sorry to everyone for that. But at the same time, you think Colby Bishop's going to score that. Maybe it bubbles, maybe it doesn't. But at the end of the day, as Andy said earlier on, you can't pin that too much on Bish because he has scored a lot of goals going forward for us. So we'll let him off on that one, right? Yeah, it, it was a poor finish. It was. It, it looked as if he tried... I didn't know what sort of shot he was trying to do because it looked as if he came off the shin. Was he trying to lift it over the keeper? I, I couldn't really tell, to be honest with you. But no, unfortunately, it was a poor, poor finish. And the cynic would look at that game and look at, then look at the chances he had in the Burton game and go, oh God, our star striker's going off the boil again. But looking at the entire season, he scored 12 goals in the league from his expected goals of 11.34. So he's still above. He's still shooting above his right. And then Andy mentioned that... Um, was it was it a shooting percentage from the amount of chances he was actually given? Yeah, was conversion, conversion. Oh yeah, conversion rate for goals. Yeah, which is still ridiculous. So he scored. It's quite obvious that we have a striker that can score goals at this level. So the odd off game, it's fine. He still caught. He still caused a handful. I'd be more concerned if this lasted, like for example, until the end of the season. For example, if he doesn't score another goal from now until the end of the season, I'd be more concerned. Obviously. So he's second. He's uh, he's second in the top fourteen goal scorers. He's second in terms of conversion rate behind Giovanni Brown, who may not be getting an opportunity to to convert many more chances in the near future. Uh, there's got to be some sort of legal based pun I can make here about pleading and making a plea. But no, I think um, we can't really get on Bishop's back for that. Let's move on. We've got some interesting injury news, haven't we? Obviously, Marlon packs out for up to four weeks, which is not really that great news for us. We still seem to have a big real problem, though, don't we, with injuries, particularly for battling players in the middle. But we'll try and skip over that a little bit. With Marlon pack out, Andy, do you feel that there's going to be a situation there as he's sort of playing with his hamster? Do you feel there's a situation there that, you know, we can just step in with the depth we've got and it's not going to be a huge mess? Or is this going to cripple the end of our season for a month? Cripple the end of our season for a month. Um, I'd back the uh, I'd back the support players just for the for the record. That wasn't a euphemism he was making there about playing with a hamster. It was a literal physical hamster. Uh, yeah, it's obviously unfortunate, and I genuinely don't tend to believe any estimated injury durations I get from the club at this point because wasn't Tom Lowry out for three weeks in what month? <laughs> October, November? No, October. One of them, that was high-pitched. My voice just broke. Um, yeah, I don't particularly 
take the injury length prediction with any real accuracy or trust. I think six to eight weeks ago, I'd be really, really concerned and thinking, oh, this is the end of any realistic chance we have of making the playoffs. But I do think that that ship has probably sailed. Therefore, as long as it's not an injury that's going to affect him long term, and obviously for his own, you know, for his own well-being, we hope he bounces back quickly. I don't think it's going to make a massive difference to how the season ends, if I'm honest, especially if Lowry is supposedly coming back and Mingi is supposedly at some point coming back in a couple of weeks' time. So it's unfortunate to see. I don't think it's season-defining at this point. Uh, Did you know the length of return for a meniscus tear, Andy? Off the top of my head, I do not, because it's the sort of thing I think I think you can sometimes walk around on it, but then as soon as you start running, you get problems, I think. Depends on what it is. It's quite a broad injury. I'm not a sport physiologist, so I have no clue, really. If he's had a stroke, I could be really, really useful, but thankfully he hasn't. That's pretty much my, uh, yeah, stroke and cardiovascular disease. Ask me all the questions you want. Meniscus, less so. All right, on that insightful little bit of medical science there from Andy. Medical science. (laughs) The the bit where I said I don't know. Yeah, very good medical science from Dr. Andy there. (laughs) Freddie, give us the update on supposedly when Tom Lowry's coming back. So Tom Lowry has apparently had a full week of modified training, according to John Massino. Um, During that week, he hasn't made him available for selection because they obviously want to see how he is and not rush him. So next week... From what from what has been reported, he's probably going to either stay in modified training or go into full training, and then he he might he may be available for selection. And then Mingi's injury is roughly two weeks behind Lowry's, so presumably he'll be definitely out for another fortnight, then go into modified training, and then back out on the pitch again properly. That's pretty much where we are, really. Well, injury news over. Let's move on quickly and talk about Owen Dale, who's been a, a sort of polarising player a little bit. Obviously, started the season really well, has faded off, especially since January, and some of his stats have dropped. I think it's quite interesting because John Messinio comes out and says the goals and the assists will come, and he's very happy with what Owen Dale's doing at the moment. I think that was in the news, wasn't it, Freddie, in your rag? Yeah, so that was there. And I listened to some of the underlying numbers, according to Opta, which is quite interesting. Owen Dale leads the, lead with, leads the team with 12 key, 12 key passes, ending carries. So carrying with the ball. The next player to do that is four. So you can see what's happening there. He's first in chance created carries with 23 from dribbling. The next player is 16. He's first still in, in expected assists per 90 as well for the team. Again, this is according to Opta. There are some underlying numbers that say he should be getting more assists and goals, despite the eye test saying that he's maybe not making the smart chant, the smart sort of footballing IQ decisions sometimes whilst on the ball. Andy, do you think that Owen Dale can turn some of these sort of underlying numbers into production? And do you think the criticism that's sort of been put on him at the moment is fair? Or you're more with John Massinho that it will it will come? I've enjoyed watching him play this year because he's actually got about and brought something to the game and there's been games where it's been if we're being honest a little bit drab and the person who has made any form of impact even if the end product hasn't always been there has tended to be Owen Dale on a lot of occasions and I've been quite a big supporter of him over the season as you know as you said though the the last what, a couple of months, those stats have dropped off. And it is difficult to argue with the statistics. I know I'm speaking Freddie's language here. It's difficult to argue with them in spite of what maybe you see in front of your eyes. But in terms of the effort and getting himself around and actually <laughs> flatters to deceive a little bit at times, but actually making it look like something is about to happen. I guess my my, my point of comparison would be someone like Ryan Williams, who did half of exactly the same thing in terms of getting around running ridiculous numbers of kilometres at high speed every game and looking like he could change something but but never actually having the ability to do it. I feel like Owen Dale is certainly a step up from that but hasn't really had the direct impact on games and that will really frustrate him because he's he's done the hard work and got in the positions to do so and then not been able to execute. So yeah, I'm certainly 
Team Owen Dale if you're dividing the fan base into two like that. But at the same time, you can't argue with the stats over the last couple of months. Assists are often harder because obviously they rely on the other player converting the chance as well. So if expected assists, that is one thing to <clears throat> consider to a certain extent. John Massino says that he likes him, loves his work rate, and he bases it off of that. And he says he's got a great engine on him and good quality. His crossing stats, according to Scout, are reasonable. We're averaging 5.72 per 90 with a 37.33% accuracy, which is above average for the league. It's not in the top 10 by any means, but it's certainly not poor considering how many crosses he's putting into the box. Scout has some of the advanced data a tiny bit differently because Dale has work onto the platform. He has one goal from his... 2.58 expected goals and three assists from 3.05 expected assists. So potentially his production may not be there and there's still question marks. But who would I play at right wing? I might give Paddy Lane a go if I was to change some things and potentially have Paddy Lane and Ronan Curtis on both wings. Then maybe try, I guess you'd try Hackett in the middle with Bishop up front. You could try that if you want to. But it seems like Messino really rates Dale, so I assume he's going to start him pretty much till the end of the season. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I, I'm, I still think there's a player there, and I still think if we can utilise that the ball carrying a bit better, then potentially even with Rafferty there making runs around him, it will open up a bit more space as well. So we'll see how that how that progresses, and I'm sure our opinions will evolve over time. But all right, guys, is there anything else you want to mention, Fred, before we move us on to the listener question? Yeah, there's a few bits and bobs. Um, Pompey are chatting to Zesh Raymond and they're trying to figure out where about where, where his position will be in the club, either in an academy role or in the first team, because he stepped up to cover the first team stuff while uh, before John Senior was appointed. So that's something to keep in mind. Probably the most interesting news for me personally to come out recently was um, Pompey's decision on player contracts. They're effectively putting contract discussions on hold until the summer, aside from Jay Mingi, apparently, which they're already working on, because Mingi's been linked tentatively with West Brom, Birmingham and Huddersfield. I don't know how reliable or strong those links are, but they're there. He And he, Richard Hughes came out and basically said they've decided to do those contract discussions in the summer to give Massinho more time to assess, assess the squad before making a decision, because with the contract talks, Richard Hughes isn't just going to do that by himself. It's going to be a joint effort to try and make those decisions. A couple of players with options, with club options for a one-year extension, Joshua Uluwiemi, Conor Ogilvie, Brian Tunnicliffe and Kieran Freeman. Those are the four. And then the rest don't. And I was thinking about it, thinking we always end up doing this, probably always end up doing that, where they leave all their contract discussions till the end of the summer. We think it's terrible. We think we should lock the players up sooner, the good ones anyway. Do you think given this specific situation, do you think it's that's different? Considering Rosino hasn't had that had that long to look at the squad and see who he likes. Yes and no, because Rich Hughes is sort of in charge of a lot of the, the ideas on player moves and contracts. And I suppose you could say that he hasn't been that long as well, but he sort of has been here long and into the window and he's been looking at players and who to bring out, who to bring in. It is difficult though, because if we went through the contracts of who you want to keep, it's not a huge amount of players that I'm actually wedded to, to keeping really from the squad who are out of contract. There are some obviously, but we've been through that, I think on the previous week. So I don't want to go into it, you know, player to player, but you know, Jay Mingy, you want to get signed up because he's a young player with the potential to get better. That's an obvious one. But yeah, I don't really know. Andy, have you got anything to add on that? No, I enjoy you picking a side there with the yes and the no, but I don't actually disagree with you, so I can't take the mick too fast. I don't have an issue with them pausing the talks temporarily because John Messino's got to actually take a look at the squad and, and figure out what he wants rather than jumping into negotiations and then you know, doing that in good faith and then realising he's changed his stance, that'd be pretty poor ethically. So I'd rather he took his time. Having said that, we've seen previously what happens if you take a bit too long 
with player contracts. And if you don't offer the the correct standard of contract, players leave and start playing at a higher standard. So, yeah, I'm going to do the same as you. Sit on the fence, six of one, half a dozen of the other. And then whatever proves to be correct, I'm going to say I told you so in, what, eight to 12 weeks' time. You guys might need to sit with Richard Hughes on that fence because in the same story, what one line of tidbit that was quite funny where he, this direct quote, he says... That's not to say we're, we're going to sit on our hands for two and a half months and not make decisions. When and where we're available to do so, we will. So that basically means, I guess, if they really, really, really like a player, they'll probably make a move before the summer, a la Jay Mingi, potentially, where the contract could be easier. But I don't really see them doing it. They could potentially already put in the squad options on some players. I don't know why they, we wouldn't do that with Joshua Louis-Amy already, considering he's young and as a backup keeper. But anyway, I just thought that was the interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Then the final thing in the news, Pompey are apparently looking at, we'll be looking at uh, players who will be released in Premiership and Championship Academies, trying to do a similar thing with Zach, like with Zach Swanson. And they're going to utilise the expertise of John Harley to find some hidden gems because obviously he's been a youth coach for 10 years at Chelsea. He'll know which academy players have promise, which ones have the right attitudes and that type of thing. So that was an interesting tidbit, but we can't, so to a certain extent, we knew Pompey would be doing that already to a degree. Havertz and Colby Bishop, here we come next season. <laughs> All right, let's get into the listener question. We put out the question to you guys and thank you so much for messaging in. We really appreciate it. It makes the show. We said, what is a successful season from here for Pompey, your Blues, the team in PO4? Stephen Rose messaged in and he says, Eisner sell up. Well, it would take longer than a few months, I reckon, to sell a football club. But, you know, that's one thing. We'll see if that happens. But I think that's probably not going to happen this season, even if it is the case in the longer term. Tyler, Tyler messaged in and he says, this point, getting as close to the playoffs and figuring out what players to keep and let go for next season. Hope we can sort out a squad for all our own players instead of relying on loans. Even if we made the playoffs, I can't see us winning or staying up next season. I mean, on the last point, again, even if you go up, you bank the money and you can reinvest that in the squad. So it doesn't matter too much if you end up coming down again, I suppose. It's better than staying in the league. And also, I quite fancy a couple of different away days. I'm sure most people do here as well. It's getting boring, just trumbling around to the same old grounds. But the other point, I suppose, you put about loan players, and we spoke about this in in quite length, and I suppose loan players should add to the squad that you already have. And I think we need to get a core over this season in the summer. Again, we need to redo the core. I know John Massinio is saying we don't need to redo the core, etc. And I suppose if we re-sign every player that we've got that's out of contract, that could be the case. But the fact that it's going on so long with these, you know, contract talks on hold effectively, I don't really see that happening. So that seems a bit smoke and mirrors to me. So I do expect quite a lot of movement to happen in the summer. Andy, would you think though that see a team like Plymouth who have had a lot of success based on loans, does that show that quite contrary to Freddie's belief that he hates loan players, that actually you can build a successful side around loans if you have, for instance, like Plymouth, a really smart recruitment model that's based on a really smart analytics team? Possibly. I don't love the phrase building a team around loans. I think loans can be an integral part of the side. And I don't, I don't uh, subscribe to the, the school of thought. Whenever we sign a loan player, oh, it's just another loan player. You know, doesn't doesn't fit in. We need to sign permanent players only. I don't subscribe to that in the slightest. But I don't necessarily subscribe to the whole building a side around loan players. I don't think statistically that's the, the sort of the long term more successful play. I think occasionally it will win it will succeed but I think more often than not it won't but it's it's so dependent on who the loan players are that's a wishy-washy answer I know but there are the, the successful strike rate of loan players is pretty low and let's say you put a decent amount of your budget into recruiting certain loan players and playing a proportion of their wages and they are part of the majority percentage that don't work out then you know, what have you really gained from it? And whilst I get the whole 
it might not be so bad to you know get promoted. It's fine if we come back down because there are what is it like? Champ- there are the championship parachute payments when you get relegated from the championship. Blah blah blah. But I don't, I don't love it as a business model. And I mean, it's certainly not the business model that the Portsmouth owners will be looking towards. You know, sort of the, the do what we need to do to get promoted and then try and stay there as best as we can and clinging on with our fingernails. It doesn't. It doesn't really fit in with their mantra, which has been so successful so far. <laughs> I like the chuckle after that. I felt like the chuckle was needed. Otherwise, I'm quite deadpan. I would have I would have had comments. So I just thought I'd throw the chuckle in just to demonstrate a little bit of uh, non-sincerity. Mm-hmm. I, I just think Poppy needs to focus on permanent players. Get a, get a proper call together. Uh, we've seen... Over the last two seasons, our reliance on loan players and just the hit and miss ratio it brings. Because if it doesn't work, it really doesn't work. And looking at the type of player we brought in on loan this season, we're probably, pay- probably, this is based off of nothing. This is based just off of my gut. They are probably paying a high proportion of their wages. And why would you pay a high proportion of your wages to players that you're going to lose at the end of the season and they're not yours? I don't particularly get it. If you're looking at a position and you see a player who's miles better than anybody else you would bring in on a permanent, why not? I would happily go for a loan player like that. But I think Pompey fans are pretty sick of the club maxing their loan slots every season. Then there's the risk of them getting recalled in January. And then you're floundering around trying to replace them already. Whereas if you build a core of players in the summer and you supplement it with loans, then it's more steady throughout that time unless you get a ridiculous amount of injuries like we've had this season and last season. Dave Lauren messaged in and he says, a successful season remains making the playoffs. Anything else is a failure and dressing up any vaguely promising finish to the season is part of the problem. I think we agree that a top six finish was really the bar for what is being successful. So I suppose it depends on how you you pose the question of, is it dressing it up now to say from where we are now, Andy, is basically, oh, if we finish eighth or seventh, that's a success from now. Is that part of the problem? And we should be saying that's a massive failure no matter where we are now and it's top six or nothing. And we shouldn't be talking about what's successful as of where we are now. I think that if we come seventh or eighth, let's talk hypothetically, I would not count that as a successful season, but it would allow us to take some sort of momentum out of this season towards next year. In terms of the attitude towards potential wholesale changes over the summer, if your trajectory is upward at the end of the season, you'd like to think, assuming you've got that core of the side on permanence, which is one of the reasons I think, as I just alluded to, that's potentially the better way of going about it. With the core of the team, you've got that upward trajectory and then the loans come in and hopefully continue that trajectory. So no, I wouldn't say eighth would be a successful season because this this year wasn't a free hit. Last year, to a certain extent, we said was a bit of a free hit. This year wasn't. And there's no sort of, there's no glossing that over. There's no sugarcoating that. There's no wrapping that in bubble wrap and just saying nice things because we're on a podcast we're unlikely to make the playoffs and this season is therefore not a failure because we should have been aiming to make the playoffs. So, I mean, we should be trying to win every game between now and the end of the season. If we do, I'm sure we will get to the playoffs, but they should be aiming to win every game. And even if they don't make the playoffs, it's about momentum. But yeah, I mean, yeah, TLDR, the season is a failure if we don't make the playoffs, which is looking most likely. No, I agree. Um, there is a fact to consider to consider because you sometimes see teams with momentum go from this season into the next season. That is actually a thing. So that's one thing to at least keep in mind. Even though I'm a bit jaded with where Ports of are, I'm not going to just completely ignore them for the rest of the season, even though it's looking like a mid-table bit of drudgery. <sighs> I'm a, I'm, I am of the opinion that it is a failure if we don't make the playoffs. There's no two ways about it. But what I am looking for to try and get something out of the season now is strong individual performances and a tactical philosophy to try and piece together, which can be used for next season. I think those are the two things I'm personally looking at. 
obviously, really, in the grand scheme of things, that's not taking very much importance out of it because this was supposed to be the season where some sort of success was planned, you know. But but hey, I'm not going to completely write it off anyway. Messinius Moose messaged in and says, from this point, this season won't be successful as a top six finish. So now it's being able to look at look back at this time and seeing if it's building blocks for next season. Where inexperienced gained experience and where strong partnerships started for those still here and starting next year. Yeah, I think it's about an evaluation now, isn't it, of what we've got. And, you know... At this at this stage in time, I think we just need to see what players we have, try and get some sort of rhythm going forward. And maybe if you do finish seventh or eighth and you've got a sort of positive vibe around the team and the managers seem to be doing well, it might help you recruit in the summer because it might help players to convince that your project's good. You know, we're, we're a big club in this league. And not just that, but when, you've, when you're looking at a team on the up who was, you know, missed out by a few positions, et cetera, and the manager's got good credit and the fans are behind him, all that kind of stuff that actually might help players uh, um, help recruit players, sorry, coming into the team during the summer. John English messaged in and he says, promotion would make this season successful. As that's not going to happen, this season won't be a successful season. I think we all agree with that now, John. Best outcome for this season is it giving us an identity and the right squad and staff to push for promotion next season. Some would call it a transition. Fuck my life. Yeah, uh, can we not... <laughs> transitions we're three years from being three years away is this an retool is that what it is a retool no uh, oh let, let's let's um, got, all right we'll give him three transfer windows all right before we can uh before we can judge him that's no, not the case now is it yeah that's just no. not the case i was going to say there's going to be no patience for next season right there wrongly there's honestly there's no room for error if one of you had discovered like the elixir for eternal life i'd be well on board with this but i'm 31 now and we've been in Lee One for a while, and <laughs> I've only I've only got that many years in me, lads. I'm getting very tired. <laughs> There's only yeah, so many re- only so many rebuilds you can do in consecutive years before I'm going to start thinking we really we really should have a season where we push for promotion. It would be nice for that to happen before I don't know retirement. Yeah, I was about to say, I'll be collecting my pension. You'll be counting down the years. Being like, I better not be fucking retiring as well, Bunce, before we start getting promoted to the championship. Honestly, mate. I mean, when do we get relegated to League Two? I think since we got relegated to League One the first time, I've done an undergrad, a master's, a PhD, and I've worked for four years in academia. That's quite a lot of my miserable life has passed by. I love my job. Um, without too much positivity. I'd like us just to actually push for promotion instead of just, you know, next year, next year. I think it would be a different matter. For example, we got in the playoffs and missed, wouldn't it? You would think there was some sort of progression there, but we had, we were fans bottled up the transitional season in quotes, put up with it, gave the club a free hit, and then this season the philosophy didn't really continue. And then it, and after a good start, it just bombed for whatever reason: injuries, individual player performances, etc. So this time the club aren't going to get that same grace for obvious reasons. The, the, the standard always is promotion out of this division. And I am seeing some people think, oh, Portsmouth are now a League One club due to resources and everything. That's cack. That's nonsense. The the standard always is promotion. And that that's what it will be. And the, and the fans saying some of the players aren't good enough. Well, they're probably right at this point. We've been in the league for six seasons, going on to a seventh. Andrew Lane says, staying up. And he said loads of exclamation marks. We better stay up or I'll be getting the torches out. I'm not going to fly a plane because that's long and expensive and I really can't be asked. But get the torches out, really. If we're, st- if we're going down, just burn the whole place down. Start again. Could you, ima- uh, could you imagine the actual reaction if we get relegated? <laughs> Let's not go there. I, I, I'd, pro- I, I'd probably throw my phone away and not look at it for three months. Avoid ports of Twitter for the rest of my life. I think the club will be very unhappy again if ITV Meridian have absolutely no one else to talk about it and put me back on there when they're happy about saying I think the club need a new manager. It'll be a little bit, lot, lot, uh, it's going to be a lot more pointed than that, shall we say. be a hell of a, hell of a PF forecast episode though, wouldn't it? 
you might get over 10 people might get over 10 people listening to the show (laughs) he will be so so interested to hear what we've got to say increasing listener figures by 35 percent. it'll be a hell of a show hell of a week i can't believe it we we won't be able to crack three digits then we'll be fucking loving life Ollie Joel messaged in and says playoffs to be successful, but a long way off. It's it's a long way off. It feels it feels like an impossible task now, boys. Ian Gray messaged in and says to stay up. He's he's on board as well. Uh, MTPFC says Champions League semi final. I want whatever you're smoking. Please, I will send you my address. Please email email it. You can't do that. Please post it to me. So, hit us up at PO Forecast. Bobby and Canberra messaged in and he says top eight would be an improvement on last season and also give us a bit of hope for the next year could be successful. I think that's I think that's probably all we can cling on to. Uh, we need to prioritise wingers in the summer. We've got a bit of pace about them. Our counter-attacking has been non-existent and it's something we need to rectify. I mean, we definitely need a bit more pace in the team, but also a bit more just a bit more ability to, to find players as well. And we spoke about so the centre midfielders joining, I'm going to say joining the rush then, Fred, but that's just actually a hockey term. But the centre midfielders. Say, how, how, many, how many hockey terms are we bringing into this? How many Americanisms <laughs> are we going to get shouted out for? Yeah, no, I'll try and drop that. But yeah, I think I think there's a situation really where we do need more pace and we just need more attacking options, don't we? Because we literally at the moment look very impotent going forward and poor Colby Bishop up there on his own trying to score goals as best he can. And you just go to think if he had really good service, he might be. He might have scored another five by now. So, yeah, let's see what happens in the summer for that one. But it's going to be quite a keen eye on what we need to do. Jeff Burrows messaged in and said there's no successful season from here. Our goal was always promotion and we're not going to make that. So we failed. I think that's that's exactly spot on. However, I want to see the team forming next season, budding in some of the younger players and building a team ethos that can smash the league next season. That's right. That's the attitude to have, Jeff. Let's go smash the league next season automatics or or failure I want to see Ipswich missing out again in the playoffs and you know we'll just turn them over again next season and that'll be a be a good old laugh but being serious bloody in some of the younger players do you think it's time to give Harry Joe White some time Andy on the pitch I'm all for bringing the academy side through um, I don't know if I'm quite at that point for starting him in the league as yet I think the last last few games of the season why not but I think there's a certain amount of integrity for the league where you need to play your your strongest 11 if if Harry Jewett White is in the strongest 11 then by all means but I think last three four games of the season I think in in terms of yeah the integrity of the other teams I think you have to play your strongest 11 every single game you can to be honest it's a very boring answer sorry Oh, mate, I nearly snoozed off with that one, but we'll let you off with that, just like Colby Bishop missing that goal because, you know, you do have some decent comments most of the time, so I'll let you off on that one. Nigel Rushmash said, he says, I think any sensible person has written off this season. Let's regroup, try the odd youngster, enjoy our football and go again next season. But please do it next season. Please. This league is depressing now. Nigel, I think, you know, you, you speak for all Pompey fans then that we need to... Need, we need something, don't we? Something tangible, at least, to hold on to here, boys. And some show that we actually are moving in the right direction. Because at the moment, it does seem a little bit aimless, doesn't it? It's, it's very stagnant, isn't it? And also, in the in the in the table, something stands up just as as mid as we can get near enough. Fourteen points off playoffs, twelve points off relegation. Tenth in the league with fourteen. Say, yeah, tenth, tenth is famously, you know, ten is famously halfway between one and twenty-four. Fred. Well, well, I said close to mid. I didn't say exactly <laughs> mid, did I? I think, considering how far all the other teams in the playoff race are ahead of us, you can definitely classify yeah. us as mid. Yeah, I'm just winding him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah I completely yeah. agree. I'm going to back Fred on that one. That uh, like let's you. have a let's have a quick look and see if anything else is done. Jamie Fox messaged in, play some youth, season's done. Won't get the playoffs, won't get relegated, let's hope not. <laughs> Bring some of our own through and give some game time. Chances are limited, otherwise in a promotion-challenging season, as the youth won't get played. I'm up for bringing them on off the bench. Let's mix it up. Can't can't do very much harm. And I don't think I think there's a lot of worse teams in this league who are gonna fight out of the bottom. And there's a lot of better teams above us that are probably gonna fight for the playoffs. So 
yeah, again, I'm I'm quite up for us bringing in some of the academy lads and giving them some game time as well now because let's see what they're about in competitive football. And we are now, I'll finish at this point, officially the team that everyone will want to play in the playoff race and in the relegation dogfight. A team with literally nothing to play for who can bring on their youngsters and play them for 30, 40 minutes just to see what they've got in their squad rather than worrying about going down or going up. So... That is basically the life of Pompey fans now, just floating around in the middle of a table. Thanks to everyone who messaged in. Much appreciated, as always. Let's go and talk about Cheltenham coming up. The mighty Cheltenham, who ruined my accumulator because I forgot it was the Johnson Paint Trophy and Plymouth put a reserve side out against them, which meant that it ruined my Aki with a 1-1 draw in the last game. That's all I'll talk about with the Plymouth, the, uh, the Plymouth, the, uh, <laughs> whatever it's called, the, pizza trophy whatever it is now but yeah um moving on from my hatred of Cheltenham for ruining my life in that sense I was looking at players that they've lost actually unfortunately people that are going to the game hoping to shout scummer Alundaloo has now gone he's gone to Bolton he was recalled from the scummers and decided to send him to one of the teams that is basically in the automatic you could say promotion hunt now as well as the playoff space because Plymouth or Bolton are an absolute fire I'll let someone else talk about Alfie May because he's their only real massive goal threat. But another player to look at is Ryan Broom. He's obviously 26, but he played for Peterborough, didn't he? He came from Peterborough. Likes to play little short passes, likes to try and open teams up in the middle. They play sort of a five in the middle. Um, so I expect him to be a player playing the sort of little passes, linking things up. And then behind him, they've got uh, Liam Seracoon, 32, experienced midfielder, likes to get about a bit. There's not that much really to like about this side, in my opinion, except Alfie May up top and just playing quite a compact style of football. Not going to try and dominate possession. We'll try and stretch us a little bit on the break, I feel, with sort of long balls. Right, who wants to jump in now and talk about the mighty Cheltenham who got smashed 4-0 by Barnsley at the weekend? It's going to be. It feels to me as if it would be very similar to the Burton game. They have an outlet up front in Alfie May. They have a they have a technical midfielder in Ryan Broom. They have a couple more gritty midfielders. They play a 3-5-2, which can easily turn into a very defensive formation if they want to, to try and nick a draw. And they'll probably try and hit Portsmouth on the break a few times, maybe use a bit of physicality because, uh, well, Michael Duff was a previous manager and that was a main thing for them. Yeah, it would just be one of those frustrating games where, where Pompey... Will, the impetus will be on Pompey to try and break them down. Maybe they'll utilise crossing a lot more like they did in the Burton game to try and create some chances. They didn't utilise crossing that much in the Lincoln game, actually, surprisingly. They mainly tried to go through the middle. So it'll be interesting to see what Bassino does. Again, any chance of vague, slim chance of playoffs has to be three points, obviously. They're not in form either. So, we, whereas Burton were, I think in the last 10 games, Cheltenham had two wins, two draws, and six losses, and had a minus seven goal difference in that time. So, it's not as if we're facing a team of blistering confidence. So, yeah, I, I, I really hope it's a Portsmouth win to have any, any, you know, take anything positive out of it. Andy, what are you going to add on this preview for Cheltenham? I know you've been edging to get in there, waving your hands around and not playing with your hamster. So what have you got to say about Cheltenham Town? <laughs> I actually quite like them as a club. I quite like the model of the, of the club and the way they've come up from League Two to establish themselves in League One. I mean, last season they were playing pretty nice football. Obviously, I've not seen them too much this season but I mean they're scrapping they're right in the middle of that relegation fight aren't they 33 points um, whereas Accrington Stanley and 21st are on 30 points with uh, with one game in hand on Cheltenham so they're right in the middle of that scrap so this isn't going to be a you know a Portsmouth against Port Vale middle table mid table no one's going up no one's going down they're going to be coming and scrapping and you'd looking at their fixtures remaining in the season, you'd imagine they're looking at this as you'd be quite happy with a point. So I'm not expecting an open, you know, a nice open match where there's a lot going on and it's end to end and, you know, chances for both teams. I'm expecting it to be fairly attritional, unfortunately, where, yeah, Burton are quite happy with a, Burton, Cheltenham are quite happy with a, a nil-nil. And if we score first, they potentially 
trying to sneak an equaliser from a set piece later in the game. Wouldn't expect it to be a classic. You'd hope that there's enough amongst Pompey to, to see them off, but they have got a couple of players who have got that moment of quality in them. I mean, yeah, as you said, the obvious one that jumps out is Alfie May. Give him space and you get punished. But here's hoping we don't give him space, we don't get punished and it's a fairly comfortable 2 or 3-0 win. But yeah, they, they're not going to come here and just with nothing to play for and see the game out for a mid-table, mid-table result. They are not indeed. Park that bus. Let's see us retain a lot of possession, I feel, in this game. And let's see what happens. All right, let's get into the juicy bit, boys. Let's talk about the score prediction time. Freddie, I want to know your score prediction, please, for Saturday and any goal scorers. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be at the game. I'll be working on my own, which is sad. I'm going to go with... You say working oh, on your own? Yeah, working oh, on my own. Working, uh, working no, on my own, no, no. Uh, which is a new one. The paper's understaffed, but I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Uh, 1-0 ports of win. Uh, I'm going to go with Connor Ogilvie from a corner. We're going to nick it that way, I think. Mitch Moore, what are you saying? I'm going to 2-0 Pompey win because height of optimism and we're going to be having drinks beforehand, so the optimism will be rife amongst the, the fan base. Yeah, I do think we'll have enough about us to win the game. They're not in brilliant form. They're down where they're on the table for a reason. And those players are now playing for contracts, essentially, and you'd hope to see, or some of those players are now playing for contracts, and you'd hope to see that come through on the pitch. So... I'll go for a 2 0 win. Uh, one for Colby Bishop and one for Matt Macy from a, a free kick, just or no, from a just open play the ball, single bounce over the Cheltenham keeper's head. I'm so bored of this season, lads. I'm so bored. <laughs> uh, you're muted, my friend. Living in a Macy wonderland. I like that. Pompey is so desperate for a goal. If you said 1 0 Macy, I might believe you. He chucked him up, chucked him up front. For a corner, yeah. just put it all on the line. Why not? It says a lot that I predicted two goals, one for Macy and one for Bishop, and you're finding the Bishop one harder to believe. Don't know what that says about us at this season. No, it's not that. It's Bishop Ash Bosch. It's one now. It's Colby Bishop. That's my, uh, that is my prediction. So that's why I spoke about the Matt Macy bit. One now, all happy days, <laughs> drinks afterwards, let the madness entail. Yeah, let's go for it. All right. Talking about drinks for the game, Fred's not going to be there. But listener John English is going to be there. He's over from Holland. So hits up at the brewery, John. Cheers the message. We'll be there. And anyone else who's there, come say hi. Me and Andy will be there. Freddie's not there, but you know, you're not missing much, let's be honest. He's the he's the one you don't want to be there anyway, right, Fred? If, if you say so. <laughs> According to that, what was it? The tweet from Pompey X's and O's last week. When Freddie's there, it has the, the feel of a DCI starting the tape to an interview. <laughs> I love that comment. I thought that was no, such... It was, yeah, no, I laughed at that. It was lot. so accurate, Fred. So accurate. I mean, as soon as I read that, I was like, that is exactly what Freddie's introduction mm-hmm, sound mm-hmm. like. That's what en- every interviewee thinks when I ring them up to chat for the newspaper. I swear. Mm. Honestly, Fred, listening to the start of last week's episode, I thought I was watching one of my true crime YouTube videos. You did an excellent job. Is it, is it the time state stamping? Is it the time stamping? It's the, yeah, the it's the time the, stamping. Yeah, yeah, I thought yeah. about that, but um, <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's a it's a sort of a, a niche uh, way to start the podcast. It's informative. But... It helps people figure out if it's what stuff might be out of date and whatever. Maybe I should be more informative at the start. Then, would you reckon? Uh, <laughs> no, I think I, I think the way you do it suits you, and the way I do it yeah. suits me. Apparently, so we'll go with. Go with that, shall we? I think I think I got it from a, a video game podcast I used to listen to years and years ago. I think the host did that then. But so you're not you're not moonlighting at the DVLA to bump no, the salary up from no, the could, news. Then no, could you imagine <laughs> me working in the police in any way? <laughs> I mean, I know you don't drive, but you know it's a, it's the driving license place. But we'll, we'll move on. Mm. Anyway, I think the podcast has died a death now. So thanks everyone for listening. <laughs> Just overall, <laughs> or in this episode. <laughs> It's just fizzled out, so I'm going to call it, it now. About 100, 100, uh, what, 133 was probably the peak episode, and it's been slightly downhill since. And now we've yeah. Thanks for listening, crevice. everyone. The podcast is packed up. We finished. <laughs> Pompey's are so mid, we've just given up. No, we were not. Is, that, is we... that the name of today's show? What mid. Pompey is so mid? No, no, just mid. I mean, <laughs> maybe we'll have a think about that after after the uh, podcast finishes, which is now because. 
don't worry, we will still be here. Despite how mid Pompey are, we're still going to be here talking about them. But until next time, play out Pompey. Not going to do the goodbyes, hey? Oh, fuck's sake. Andy, it's been great having you on the podcast. Just thrilled to be here, mate. It's so nice that you remember to say goodbye to me and Fred on tape. It's it's just wonderful. <laughs> oh, I'm always thinking about you guys and not in that weird way. Uh, like... No, nah, that's too much. <laughs> too much. <laughs> Freddie. It's been great on your podcast, mate. Thanks. Always a pleasure, Hugh. No worries at all. Uh, yeah, I wish I wasn't working. I was with you a lot, but yeah. Money talks, doesn't it? Who knows? Maybe proud of you making an appearance. No, it's not happening. Literally no idea who's going. Oh, Will's coming. Oh, there we go. There He's go. coming down. That's another person. Not even a Pompey fan, although he owns a shirt. So like a oh. Pompey shirt, not just, I mean, he does own a shirt as well. well anyway, that'd you, be a little group, little group. You you gave him your, the shittest shirt, you, you, you the one you don't like Shit, the most, is that correct? Shittest shirt. You, you said that, you said that, you said, I gave you the one, you, I didn't like that one, so I gave it to you. That's exactly what you said. Okay, well, that was his birthday present, so thank you for announcing that on the podcast. Thankfully, he's a Port Vale <laughs> fan and, and doesn't really listen, so. I, I believe you told him in person, yeah, I was there. Yeah. After a drink, I probably did, to be fair. Oh, dear. <laughs> Which shirt was it out of interest? Oh, it was like a 1994. I think it was one that was sponsored by the Portsmouth News, I think. It was like pre-Bishop's Printers. It was actually quite a nice shirt. I just didn't like yeah. it very much. That's actually not a bad shirt at all. Yes, it's not. I just didn't like the fit or whatever. It didn't fit me very well, I don't think. And he's, yeah. I know what it is. To me. And, and Andy likes, you know, he's he's a he's an in shape gym going man. So he likes something that shows off his his uh, his physique more. Whilst those are you know old school sort of like baggy old shirts, aren't they, Andy? They don't they don't quite do you justice. Your words, mate. I'm chronically out of shape right this second, so I'm not going to agree with you. But um, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, I'll turn up skin tight on Saturday. See what you think. Yeah, please let everyone know, listeners, if you see Andy in his new lycra blue man group outfit, what you think of it please don't <laughs> my self-esteem can stake so many pits you know that the simpsons meme that's like stop it stop it he's already dead that's uh that's pretty much where i'd be at i think and you know this extended bit of the podcast is is being great fun but until next time play up pompey you have been listening to the po forecast for pompey news now available on soundcloud spotify and apple podcasts Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!